This is the LexisNexis California Legal News Podcast. Litigation news stories from recent issues of LexisNexis Mealy's Publications. Current and targeted legal news and litigation reports. An 18-year-old woman who was hospitalized for a week after eating raw cookie dough involved in the nationwide recall filed the first complaint against the manufacturer in a California court on June 22nd. Jillian Collins sued Nestle USA in San Mateo County Superior Court, claiming she became ill after eating Nestle Toll House refrigerated cookie dough. On May 26th, she claimed she fell ill with abdominal cramps and diarrhea. As Collins' symptoms worsened, she was admitted to a hospital where tests revealed she was infected with E. coli. The genetic fingerprint of her test matched that of the outbreak strain involving the tainted Nestle cookie dough. Collins brings claims of strict liability, breach of warranty, negligence, and negligence per se. She contends she has suffered and will continue to suffer pain, loss of enjoyment of life, emotional distress, and medical problems as a result of consuming the contaminated cookie dough. She adds that she has incurred medical expenses and seeks general and special damages, costs, and prejudgment interest. A Ninth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals panel said in mid-June that the plaintiffs in the Exxon Valdez pollution case are due interest on the final punitive damages judgment of $507.5 million to run from the original date of the judgment in September 1996 at a rate of 5.9%, but was divided over the issue of recovering costs of the appeal. The majority said all parties should bear their costs. On June 29th, ExxonMobil said it will not appeal. Reversing a lower court's dismissal of her claims, a California appeals panel in June found that model Victoria Vogel's state law claims regarding the use of her name and likeness in connection with the online sale of cell phone wallpaper and the promotion of videos in which she appeared are not preempted by federal copyright law. Vogel appeared as a model and spokesperson in several episodes of C. Casey Bennett's Bikini Destinations program. Vogel claimed that she never gave final consent to the use of her image. Bennett promoted the show on a website where users could download thumbnail images or view clips from the show, some featuring Vogel. Users could also purchase images of the show's models, including Vogel, to use as wallpaper on their cell phones. Vogel sued Bennett and several media outlets, but the Los Angeles County Superior Court found her state law claims were duplicative of copyright claims and, therefore, preempted by the U.S. Copyright Act. The Court of Appeal found that the gravamen of Vogel's state law claim pertains to the alleged unauthorized use of her name and likeness in promoting the program and relate to privacy rights, the right of publicity, and unfair competition. The elements of these claims, it said, did not pertain to any of Bennett's rights protected by the Copyright Act. Vogel's privacy claims related to use of her identity, appropriation of her likeness, and lack of consent, the panel said while a misappropriation claim pertained to the invasion of privacy and knowing use. Citing case law, the panel found that Vogel's claims related to the use of her image and name for the selling of cell phone wallpaper and promoting the program are not preempted by copyright law. For LexisNexis Legal News, I'm Mark Rogers. A plaintiff describing himself as America's premier puzzle master sued Apple Incorporated in June in the Northern District of California for copyright infringement. Don Rubin filed suit in connection with Apple's iPhone application known as Parking Lot, which the plaintiff says copies his Lots of Luck puzzle, quote, in all respects. Rubin's syndicated weekly puzzle column is used by an estimated 15 million readers per week in 20 countries. He says he has established response records that, quote, remain unprecedented in newspaper history. 
Lots of Luck was created and published by Rubin in 1977, is described by the plaintiff as the original parking lot puzzle, and hailed by Prentice Hall as, quote, one of the greatest puzzles of all time. Beginning in at least January 2008, Apple began selling the parking lot application for the iPhone. According to the complaint, Parking Lot remains one of the defendant's best-selling iPhone games. Despite a cease and desist letter, the defendant continues to offer the application for sale, leading Rubin to file suit. He seeks entry of preliminary and permanent injunctive relief, damages, and an order requiring Apple to deliver up all copies of Parking Lot in its possession for impoundment. For LexisNexis Legal News, I'm Mike Butler. Two days after being dismissed as a defendant in a patent infringement case, Apple filed its own lawsuit against the plaintiff from the first case in California federal court seeking declarations of non-infringement. The patents in suit belong to Austin, Texas firm Guardian Media Technologies, which sued Apple and close to 40 other companies for patent infringement in December. During a June 15th hearing pertaining to an order to show cause, Central District of California Judge Manuel Real dismissed most of the defendants in that case. Apple now seeks declarations of non-infringement of both of Guardian's patents in the Northern District of California, which pertain to parental control features used in TV and DVD players to allow parents to restrict the access to particular programs or content to minors. Apple says it has not infringed Guardian's patents directly, contributorily by inducement, indirectly, or under the doctrine of equivalence. Apple is asking the court for a declaration of non-infringement of each of Guardian's patents while seeking an award of costs and attorney fees. Though Guardian is a Texas corporation, Apple asserts that California is an appropriate venue because of Guardian's continuous and systematic contacts with the state. Because Guardian has filed multiple lawsuits in the state, Apple says it is submitted to the personal jurisdiction of California. Fourteen environmental groups and a county from Colorado sued the federal government on July 7th in the Northern District of California, challenging the Bush administration's designation of energy corridors for the development of pipelines and electricity transmission and distribution facilities on federal public land in the 11 western states. Under the 2005 Energy Policy Act, Congress directed the Agriculture, Interior and Energy Departments, the U.S. Forest Service and the Bureau of Land Management to develop and designate the energy corridors and any necessary environmental reviews. But in its complaint filed in San Francisco, the group says instead the agencies created a sprawling hopscotch network of 6,000 miles of rights-of-way known as the West-Wide Energy Corridors, without considering the environmental impacts of that designation, without analyzing any alternatives to their preferred pathways, without considering numerous federal policies that support renewable energy development and without ensuring the corridor's consistency with federal and local land use plans and without consulting other federal agencies or western states and local governments. As a result, the groups argue, west-wide energy corridors within which applications to construct pipelines and power lines will be expedited align with and perpetuate the use of coal-fired power plants throughout the west and leave stranded or underserved many areas with renewable energy resources. The groups are seeking to redirect new transmission lines to link clean energy areas to consumers. They say the Bush plan inadequately supports the Obama administration's efforts to guide solar development. A San Francisco jury has awarded a man suffering from mesothelioma close to $8.5 million for his exposure to joint compound. Jack Reynolds sued a number of defendants in San Francisco County Superior Court alleging their conduct exposed him to asbestos and causing his mesothelioma. Reynolds alleged he suffered exposure from 1954 to 1964, primarily aboard two naval vessels. 
He alleged that while in the Navy, he worked as a painter and in the laundry department, and then after leaving the Navy, Reynolds claims he suffered exposure up until 1973 while installing and finishing drywall in residential construction. Reynolds claims he used red dot joint compounds manufactured and supplied by defendant Hamilton Materials to fill in the joints between sheets of drywall. At trial, only Hamilton remained. The jury deliberated one day before returning the award for Reynolds, consisting of $100,000 in past medical expenses, $50,000 in future medical expenses, $318,000 in non-medical economic damages, and $8 million in non-economic damages. The jury apportioned 20% of the liability for Reynolds' mesothelioma to Hamilton. The jury also found the U.S. Navy 65% liable and Kaiser Gypsum Incorporated 10% liable. The jury apportioned the remaining 5% of liability to all others. The Second District California Court of Appeal in mid-June ruled that actor Robert De Niro did not misrepresent his health on an insurance application during the filming of the movie Hide and Seek. De Niro was diagnosed with prostate cancer several days after his physical exam and application were finished, and filming had to be delayed, costing $2 million in losses. Fireman's Fund Insurance Company sued De Niro to recover losses it paid for his inability to start filming Hide and Seek. Under a motion picture television producer's portfolio policy to Fox Entertainment Group, Fireman's Fund said De Niro made material misrepresentations on his application, failing to disclose that he had just had a prostate biopsy. His father was diagnosed with prostate cancer in 1983 and later died from the disease. The Los Angeles County Superior Court ruled in De Niro's favor finding that because he was not diagnosed until two days after he signed the certificate, he did not make any false statements. Fireman's Fund appealed. The appeals court said there was no evidence that De Niro was told there was a 40% probability he had prostate cancer before the biopsy. In fact, the appeals court said his treating physician did not think De Niro needed a biopsy. Quote, in defendant's view, the appeals court said, the biopsy was just another routine test that he expected would confirm he did not have prostate cancer. In these circumstances, defendant did not commit fraud and did not negligently misrepresent the facts when he failed to reveal that he had undergone a prostate biopsy procedure." End of quote. For LexisNexis Legal News, I'm Michael Lefkowitz. The Second District Court of Appeal held July 1st that Gulf Underwriters Insurance Company owes no coverage for underlying toxic exposure lawsuits arising out of Venico Incorporated's oil and gas production operations because it did not meet the notice requirement in the insurance policy's pollution buyback provision. In 1910, oil wells were drilled on a 22-acre site that later would become Beverly Hills High School. In 1959, the school district entered into an oil and gas lease with oil production companies. In the early 1980s, the oil companies built a new site next to the high school. In 1995, the oil and gas lease for the new site was assigned to Venico. Several years ago, a number of former students and employees of the school sued Venico, alleging exposure to toxic chemicals from Venico's sites over extended periods while they were at the school. Gulf Underwriters Insurance maintained the lawsuits did not fall within the coverage requirements of the pollution buyback provision, which allowed coverage if the claim stemmed from an accident caused by an intervening act, if the accidents occurred on a specific date, if the insurer discovered the accident within seven days, and if the policyholder notified Gulf within 60 days of discovery of an accident. The appeals panel rejected Vanico's argument that the 60-day reporting requirement is invalid because it's hidden in the policy, 
and that Gulf's reliance on that reporting deadline is unreasonable and against public policy. Here, the court said the liability for failure to warn is interwoven with and directly connected to the toxic exposure liability claim. Venico is alleged to be responsible for the toxic pollution, the court said. Given the allegations in the plaintiff's complaints, the appeals panel said the policy excludes coverage for tort liability for Venico's alleged failure to warn about its release of toxic chemicals. LexisNexis Podcasts, voted top legal-oriented podcast in the 2008 ABA Journal Blog 100, the annual reader survey of the best websites for lawyers as chosen by the editors of the ABA Journal. If you'd like more information on these and other California cases, visit www.lexisnexis.com slash mealies. LexisNexis Legal News California is written by the editors of Mealy Publications, current and targeted legal news and litigation reports. The LexisNexis California Legal News Podcast, copyright 2009 by LexisNexis, a division of Reed Elsevier Incorporated. LexisNexis, total practice solutions. I'm Steve Bursler. Thanks for listening.